0: Hey folks, plant friends, welcome back. I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, Plant Proof Podcast, and creator of plantproof.com, which as a reminder, is a 100% free online resource that I regularly publish plant-based nutrition information, recipes, and other blogs to. Each week on this show, I'm fortunate enough to be able to connect with super inspiring, brilliant people from all walks of life, from all over the globe, to help myself and you guys become more informed, mindful, and conscious, so we can really get the most out of our life and at the same time, be the best member of this planet that we can be. We all play super crucial roles in shaping not only our immediate environments, but the wider environment, the way the planet functions itself, and that's the coolest thing about podcasts and social media. We can together share such great messages in just a few clicks. Now, just to check in with you guys, I've been in New York for the better part of a week. I normally stay around East Village or Soho, but this time I bunk up in a really cool loft on Airbnb in Chinatown just to try something new. And boy, was I not let down. This area is awesome. Definitely a new favorite of mine. Heaps of cool places to eat, everything in walking subway distance like all of Manhattan. And yeah, really I really just enjoyed a slight change of scenery and getting to know a new pocket of New York City. I went over to Orchard Street and checked out the Orchard Street Deli, which some of you may have heard of. It's a completely vegan grocery shop with the deli component that makes fresh sandwiches and salads. As you guys know, I'm not usually down for processed vegan food. I'm more about whole foods, but I've been told I had to go and try the Monty. Everyone was saying, go and try the Monty which is a Satan sandwich loaded with heaps of delicious veg and some plant-based cheese. I haven't had Satan in, in well over a year. I have to say, even though I certainly prefer a wholesome Buddha bowl, it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was a really good take on, on a sort of loaded sandwich, and I can see why people are attracted to it. Definitely worth stopping by to check it out if you're in town, and next door is a vegan shoe shop. I was amazed. It's pretty cool to see shops like this come into reality and hopefully there's even more vegan fashion shops like this continuing to open up as we become a more open and mindful society. Now, just quickly, I I will say I'm really missing my Organic Village tempeh, which I eat a ton of in Australia and you would have seen that on my social media. I like the fact that Organic Village has chickpea, zuki bean and mung bean tempeh so you can mix up your legumes over the week. And as you guys know, I invested into this brand earlier this year. Coming up, I'll be doing a podcast role reversal where someone interviews me and I can go into this investment. I took this brand to Woolworths, which is Australia's largest retailer, which is now where it's stocked in, in over 800 stores. And I love the fact that people are buying this instead of meat and the impact that's having on their health, the planet and the animals. I'm gonna do my best to get it over to USA and UK very, very soon. So for everyone who has been asking me, hopefully it's not too far away. I would love it to be in those places just as much as you so that when I can when I travel I can grab some and cook it at the Airbnb. Okay, that's enough rambling. So let's move on to this week's episode. If you've been following me for a while, back in March, I said I visited Beyond Sushi in Manhattan which is a plant-based sushi restaurant serving absolutely epic sushi rolls and Japanese salads, amazing flavors, so good. I even took my dad there who's not vegan and he greatly enjoyed it. Now, coincidentally, this time while I've been in New York, Beyond Sushi was on TV on American Shark Tank and the co-owner, Chef Guy Vaknin, and I caught up in Chinatown to go over his story. The evolution of Beyond Sushi and what's in store for the future. Really cool story and perspective from someone who had to quickly adapt and think on his feet to appeal to a particular market whilst changing his own values and beliefs at the same time. Guy is a super down to earth and incredibly passionate fella, loves his food. I love what he's doing. I love the message he's spreading about plant-based food tasting incredible. And I love that he's not scared to take it mainstream to the masses. Let's do this. Chef Guy Vaknin. welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Man, it's really cool to have you here. Your food is bloody awesome. I I first had Beyond Sushi, I think it was in 2015 at the Chelsea Market, the one over there. Um, and I was absolutely hooked. My brother was hooked. My girlfriend was hooked. Nice. His his girlfriend was hooked. And we went back. I think every, every at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, nice. <laughs> while we were in New York. So we had a we had a wonderful experience there. And it's funny because the the we stumbled across Beyond Sushi that time because next door. Being from Australia, we were looking for really good coffee. Yes, and there's a place next door at the Nine Chelsea. Street. What's that well, one? No, at the Chelsea markets yeah, 9th Street is, it, Cafe. is that what it's called? Ninth yeah, Street, yeah. yeah. And they had amazing like coffee, and they had plant based milks, and
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe it's the one next door to us. Uh, I can't
0: even remember. I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was a, it was a blessing that we, we were meant to be there, and we found Beyond Sushi. And every time I've come back to New York, sort of six or seven times since then, I said before you know before this podcast, I've taken my dad there, who yes. is not 100 percent vegan, but completely loved it and that's that's a great thing that i love about what you've done and being in new york this week i saw you guys in the media and i'm really glad that we've been able to connect um now i want to go into beyond sushi and the business itself and sort of what your inspiration was behind starting it you know and has it been everything that you thought it would be and what's your experience and more more. every I i want to dig deep and and sort of um yeah just understand where it all started but before we we go into that do i notice a slight accent where where did you grow yes, yes, up yes yes so i i've only been in the
1: states for 13 years now i grew up in israel eh, all my life came here my father was in the restaurant business in new york had moroccan restaurants that's where our oranges are from both my mom and my dad were born in morocco moved to israel whereabouts in morocco uh, my dad is from Casablanca, and my mom is from uh, Ujda, okay. which is uh, some small town in the north. Um, I was in and, Marrakesh. Yeah, about three or four months ago. Yeah, Beautiful, it was right? Fantastic. I've never been. <laughs> I just hear stories. Yeah, yeah. I will go. I will go. Yeah. So they they moved to Israel in the '60s, and then my parents separated when I was very little. My dad came here, followed that big dream of coming to America, opened a restaurant in 1991 uh, in the East Village over
0: here. And was that serving up like sort of Moroccan food? Moroccan food it has
1: nothing to do with like vegetarian
0: tagines. Yeah, like sort of big stuff. heavy
1: couscous, uh, yeah, yeah, Moroccan yeah, yeah. chickens, tazin, and all yeah. that stuff that goes with it. What about hummus? or it's almost a
0: bit more. Yeah, yeah uh, that too. Host.
1: Yeah, so they had it influenced by Israeli yeah. cooking. He basically had nothing to do with uh, restaurants before. He was a police officer. Okay. And then he came here, and um, a restaurant is a very. Easy business to start. It's not necessarily an easy business, but it's easy to start. If you have an idea and you think that you can make it, you just start it. Usually it fails. He, with a lot of drive and work, got it to work and grew up to six restaurants uh, over time and then condensed everything to a catering uh, operation. Uh, Over the years, I used to come and visit and work in the restaurant, work as a server, work as a bartender, as the manager. And got into the whole restaurant business and learned about it uh, as much as I could in the summers that I came here. Went back to Israel, finished the army. I served in uh, infantry. Uh, that's a
0: that's a requirement, right?
1: Yes. It's a requirement. You don't have to actually fight. Yeah. Uh, you can get out of it in yeah. some ways.
0: But awesome. uh, So after Morocco this year, I went, actually before Morocco, I was in uh, Tel Aviv. Okay, nice. And um, I saw a lot of the... They sort of, they're, I mean, they seemed like young kids that yeah. were part of the army walking the streets, and they were everywhere. Yeah,
1: they bring you in eighteen. Yeah, you're stupid, and they're
0: holding some big weapons.
1: Yeah, you walk around with the weapons. I mean, it's a little bit different, but there is a m- much more of a mission when you go in. Uh, you're eighteen. You don't know what you're going into. You're so when it. you was that
0: when you were doing that? 2002 is and, where I where I got. Recruited. And was that was there. Any fear associated with joining the Israeli army, or what was it I felt like Israel is a very
1: communal country, so you 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 grew up with values of the country and how much people put in to make it happen and and create it in this place and I felt that I slept really well when I was a kid from when I was born until I was eighteen, and I felt like I had to repay. Whatever I had to repay and do as much as I can when I went in. So I started a pilot training, and then I got dropped from that, and I went into infantry. And it's not a matter of whether you are believe in the in what in the in the cause or anything. You have to repay your dues. And I believe uh, it also benefited me a lot. and made me, from a spoiled kid, and actually made me uh, made me realize what I can do physically mentally yeah sure. uh where, push me to the limit whereabouts did you go to school in, in Israel? trial so i went to school in the south part of israel it's uh pretty much a desert actually right by gaza strip so yeah that, that's the wow. famous part yeah uh, so you
0: got gaza strip and then you got uh is it west bank or west it, bank on the west other bank side on the other side yeah. they're like the disputed sort of yeah, territory territories. where the palestinians
1: uh it's kind of weird because when i grew up my nanny was from gaza they used to come to our house and she come, must come home some crazy stories yeah and she 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 came there when i grew up we were everything was amazing right
0: and then religion politics and mm. everything else that ruins everything was, in this world. was that you know political tension and this stuff between the israelis and the palestinians was that something that you felt as a kid like through in school or were you kind of sheltered from that i did not
1: and i grew up in an era where peace was thriving right I grew up in the era where, where our prime minister that got murdered, right? It's just, have, I mean, we just had the, the memorial for it yesterday, 23 years ago. But I grew up in that era where, where peace was thriving and we were meeting the kids from the other side and there was hopes of, of good stuff to happen. And uh, it's a shame. I mean, that, that actual act in my mind changed the whole course of history, basically. You know, reality is reality, and that's, that's what it was. And uh, I grew up there, and once I paid my dues, I finished my service. Two weeks later, I, uh, I moved here. So I felt like I did my part, and then I moved here to the state and uh, started working with my dad, and then off, and then quitting my dad, and then going to culinary school, then going to computer engineering until I found myself and what I really want to do in life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you did go to culinary school.
1: Yeah, I started working for my dad and then uh, going to college for computer engineering. I sat down in the chair and couldn't sit for very long and decided that Mm -hmm. that wasn't
0: my my
1: future or what I want to do. And what
0: sort of tasks was he getting you to do at the restaurant? (laughs) He's done from the ground. (laughs) Yeah. So basically what
1: happened is I went to Connor's school and the day I finished, he said, "Okay," took his chef and said, you're fired. (laughs) And he put me as the executive chef and I, I was 23. I mean, come on. I didn't have any experience in the kitchen. I just finished culinary school. You're the executive
0: chef. straight
1: in. Yeah. So I lost them a bunch of money in the beginning, right? But then I made them a bunch of money and I made made good things. And that is also leading to the beginning of my new chapter in life and beyond sushi and everything that came along with it. Working in that catering company allowed me to do so many variety of things. Uh, I could do whatever I wanted. Not working under a chef before, didn't, I felt that it didn't box me out as, okay, this is how you do things. This is what you're limited to. This is what you're not limited to. And it left my imagination open to whatever I wanted to do. And then the idea of Beyond Sushi came, came to life, right? I hired my future wife which is part of Beyond Sushi at the catering company. She was the sales driver. So that said, yeah.
0: you you guys were not partners? Like no, you-
1: no, 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 no. So we were working for my dad, both of us. I hired her as, you know, to be the, the salesperson, uh, the driving on and the ca- catering company. And we ended up being together. But she's the one that actually pushed me to try it out and get it out there. Uh, She got us into the first uh, New York Vegetarian Food Festival.
0: This is with Beyond Sushi. Yeah, this is with the catering company. the catering company. Making
1: Beyond Sushi. Making
0: Beyond Sushi. Okay, so you were able to experiment underneath the existing, your your father's business.
1: Yeah, because two years into the position as the executive chef, he also threw another curve at me and said, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to Israel for vacation for a year and a half. You run this business Bye. Right. So, <laughs> sounds like happened.
0: he had a bit of a master plan when he you got sent off to culinary school. <laughs> yeah. He, he he Look, he's done
1: it for so many years. This is a very um, hard business to run, and he decided that okay, I'm gonna take over.
0: You say hard. Let's let's visualize it. What what does it take to run a successful restaurant to be a chef? What sort of hours are we talking oh, wow. about? <laughs> so, first of all. Going into
1: uh, Beyond Sushi was very different than any other restaurant, right? It's not, it's not a normal story. I got very, I say lucky, but I I feel like I worked really, really hard for it at the same time, but I got into it without backing, right? So I took all my invest, all my life savings. I had $70,000 and I loaned from my dad another $70,000 and I opened the first location, which had 12 seats on 14th Street, between 2nd and 3rd. Is that location still there now? Yes, yes. It's been there. I was my, I it's, it's my baby. baby. It's going to be there. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> matter how it do. It's going to be there now. It doesn't matter, but it's doing well. So I took that $140,000 and went and opened the business without knowing what I'm getting into, right? I had just enough
0: to build the place. If we just take one step back, because you said you were... You were already experimenting underneath the catering company, right? To start, yeah, and that was with Beyond Sushi. So that was with this plant-based sushi, yeah, right. So you, so from the start, it, it never had fish on it. The sushi, no. But what, what, at that stage, because you were using animal ingredients, I, I guess, in many of the other recipes under yeah. your dad's business. Why did you first identify the whether it says gap or whether it wasn't even that? You just decided I'm going to make sushi without fish, which back then. Like now that seems a little bit obvious, right? But back then that's like people would have been lo- looking at you or thinking that's outrageous. Yes. Sushi without fish.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the, the initial the initial product did have animal products and it had eggs, right? And it had it only in the sauces. So, so a vegetarian. It was a vegetarian. And I can say very clearly. I was very ignorant about this whole thing. I came to this concept from a place where I'm saying, okay, this is health. This is a health concept and now we're, we're pushing the health benefit of it, right? Without doing enough market research or without doing uh, enough of it, right? And so I went in and I had three items that had egg products in it. And this is part of business and uh, I attribute that to growing in the business, right? Every business evolves. So the first week we got people coming in and said, hey, I need the stuff without egg products. Can you make it, you know, can you make it vegan? And I said, okay. And then I had one incident that changed my life, basically. One lady came in and she said, oh, I want to order this. And she didn't say anything about the vegan vegetarian stuff. And I served her the sauces with the egg products in them. And she found out and then she told me, I haven't had any animal products for like 10 years and she started bowling, right? In the restaurant. And I was like, okay, something is wrong over here. I cannot keep doing this. I got to make a change that will make first the business better and that I don't have the confusion. And I'm not vegan at this moment, right? Yeah. I, I don't so even you saw know. you that
0: emotion and thought
1: yeah. I'm missing something here. Yes. And then from there on, it was just, Education. I started learning. Like I learned about food. I learned about recipes. I started learning about what the values of it and what is it and everything else. So three weeks into the business, we transformed from vegetarian to
0: vegan, right? So that was a small period. Did you need to sacrifice in any way in terms of flavor or taste, or did you quickly work out how to make the vegan alternatives? So my biggest drawback was if
1: that's going to happen. I Went back and I said, "Okay, let let me make it happen." And I uh, did more studying and I I learned how to make the same thing just without the eggs and and that worked that worked perfectly. Down the line, uh, a few months took it upon myself, and after I learned from everything, it changed my whole life. Right, so I went into the whole thing, changed my my outlook about life, about about where we're sourcing our products from, and and so on. That change is probably the best business decision I made because I got the support of the community and they saw that and they kept coming. Uh, and that was like the roughest months of our of our beginning. And then it also changed my life personally, my wife's life, my son's, both vegan. Both
0: vegan, wow. Yeah. So, Tell me, when you first opened the doors and you, you were getting asked by customers if you could make this role vegan, like, yeah. can you do it without egg? What What did you think of, the word vegan and vegans and in general, like yeah. beforehand, if we wind back a few years before then, or when you were leaving yeah. Israel, like had you ever heard of the term vegan and did you have a kind of preconceived idea as to what that actually meant? Yeah.
1: So when I was growing up, I mean, vegans were in you know, a way a mockery, right? That that was the that was the narrative, right? They were mocking the fact that hey, they're weak, hey, they're 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 not strong enough, they don't get all the nutrients that they need. Stigma. Yeah, they, they get there. It's it's something that I can say for a fact. It's not true in any way. Uh, I live it, breathe it every day. Uh, everybody now knows that that's a myth, and a lot of it comes from where we are and in the industries and the industries behind it and uh, and money, right? Yeah, sure. That's drives driving everything. So that part was very, very hard for me in the beginning, but. As I went into it and I, I'll tell you, like I had one customer that wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. He would email me every day, another email, another email. You should try it out. You should do this. You should do that. And
0: very persistent. Telling as in you personally should. Should, should make it vegan. Should make, should make. You make, make yourself vegan. vegan. Make, the, make the restaurant vegan.
1: I kept in touch with him. And when I opened my, my biggest location, I brought him in you know, uh, as an honor guest. He was pretty proud. Yeah, he was proud. He brought <laughs> his kids and everything. It was really cool. But it made the transfer of my whole approach to life, you know, so uh, I, I give him all the credit.
0: Tell me a little bit more, I guess, on a, a a larger scale. When you started doing your research and even before then, you chose not to use fish. Yes, you you had some egg in there, but you yep. made a decision at the start, which I think is the biggest decision that you yep. made of doing sushi without fish. Yeah. What inspired that? Were you looking at the impact of fishing or you looking at
1: toxins in the water? What was it? Yeah, I'm going to ruin it for you. I didn't do that much research, okay? When I did it, I did it out of necessity that I had to put uh, an option on our station because of the kosher aspect of things. So I had to, but then I saw the reaction. I mean, the reaction was right. Everybody was blown away by it. all oh, the flavors, all oh, the colors, everything that comes with it. And then we took it to the New York uh, vegetarian festival, right? And I saw the reaction there. We sold out, we sold out, we sold out, we sold out, and we took it another year over there. So it took me two and a half years to get to where I got, and it took me a while to develop the recipes and everything else. But at the beginning, I was ignorant. Mm. I mean, I was really ignorant about it. Yes, with time, I learned all the benefits that I carry with the business as well. And they are one of the biggest driving drive that we have right now for the business. It's something that I wanted to do afterwards and afterthought, I wanted to do on a bigger scale. I feel like you can have a vegan restaurant and you can have two and you can have three, right? But you don't make an impact if you don't do it on a large scale. Some people like, because I went on Shark Tank right now, said, oh, you're a corporate sellout and stuff like that. So I have some
0: haters over there. All right, but just to have, People talking about a plant-based restaurant on a show the size of Shark Tank reaching that many people. Yes. That's something in itself. You want to make an impact. You want to do something. I mean, no one can take
1: away the fact that we have fed over 2 million, right, of these rolls, right? That's, that's, That's a lot of fish if you think about it, right?
0: I want to make an impact. And in addition to that, you... In, in that process, you're introducing people to a way of eating without animal products wood, that who knows what that then sets them off on in terms of going in, and they're like, that actually tasted pretty good without animal products. What's this whole vegan thing about? And then they start their own journey. That's the approach. I feel
1: like that's th- that's my approach on it. I don't force anybody. I know that if they try it, once I get it and they they'll try the food, mm. I can get them to come back for it. You know, we have the results for it. 50% of our customers come back for a second time or a third or a fourth or spend $1,000 a month in Beyond Sushi, which is great. It helps us survive. It helps us be sustainable. Thank God i have, <laughs> have no money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good, though. That's good. <laughs> uh, uh, but like, and to my point before about my dad, who's not vegan. Yeah. He loved Beyond Sushi. And I think nice. that he was probably, not the last person, but I think he would be one of the, the last people within my family that would be open to like having a green smoothie in the morning, right? But after I showed him Beyond Sushi and that this was, this is vegan food. Nice. He was much more open to like, okay, throw me a few more recipes. (laughs) (laughs) The perception, I I think that we're in meat
1: eaters, right? Is that that everything is an imitation, right? What I'm trying to do with this and what I've been trying to do and what I've taken for myself as the approach, right? Is not to try to imitate anything, right? The sushi is, for me is just a vessel. It's a great vessel that I can get the highest consistency. Every bite is the same. You come in, you had a spicy mango last year, the year before that. Doesn't matter when you had it. You'll come again. You'll have a fresh one that tastes exactly the same, and everybody's going to be the same because the same amount of sauce, same amount of mango inside, same amount of avocado. And that goes to the army. I was a drill sergeant, uh, and same everything is in there exactly the same. And it's, it's like the hardest thing for a chef to create consistency on that level, right? And that was the approach. And the approach was, I'm not imitating a burger. I'm not trying to imitate uh, a steak or in any way. And I feel like eventually plant-based should be a cuisine of its own, right? It shouldn't be an imitation of a steak. I know, I, I understand why it would bring people to shift over, but in my perspective, it's 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 not it's not plant-based cuisine if you're trying to make a a burger or a lobster or I don't know what whatever it is.
0: Yeah, you're doing you're doing your own thing yes. essentially, and yes. it just happens to not have animal ingredients in it, and it just happens to taste amazing. Now, the first weeks, first week of opening up on Fourteenth Street, I think. Yeah, so, right. Was that we got some um, New York sirens in the background. Fair <laughs> in New York, can't do a podcast without those in the background. New York, New York. Yeah. <laughs> the the first few weeks when you opened, this is um, your first business, I guess. You that's your baby, right? Yeah. What what were the first weeks month like, and what were the challenges you faced? Working. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so basically, I, when I opened, I, I had money only to open the place, right? The day before I opened, I went with my only employee, which was the sushi chef, went to Chinatown, <laughs> got some products. where we are now. Yes. Got some products, got some ingredients, right? Uh, vegetables, all the noodles, all the stuff that I needed. Went back, cooked the stuff with him, and then opened, right? Did all the preparation. And in the beginning, I had, it was me and him. So I would go in at three in the morning, cook until eight o'clock in the morning, wash all the dishes and everything else. At 11 o'clock, open the store, go upstairs. And be with him while he's making sushi. And so when you were cooking, what were you cooking? The way it is, is that we are, we, I do all the prep, right? I get all the ingredients ready. Cooking Uh, the rice. The prep, the rice, the sweet potatoes, all the stuff that needs to go in the ovens, all the, all the blanching, all, all the preparation to get everything ready for service. Like you do in every other restaurant. And then we go into service and do, do everything. There's no restaurant that starts chopping uh, cucumbers when you, put the order in yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to do it you have to be ready for it so i would do all that and then go and spend the day with him on the cashier and meet all the customers and talk to them and everything else but he worked six days and then on his day off i had to do it on by myself <laughs> and on top of that i opened the sushi restaurant and i didn't know how to make sushi so for six days i looked at him and the first day that i was by
0: myself it was horrible right and w- was he Japanese or uh, he'd been no, trained? Chinese. Chinese, but he'd yes, been trained. he to- been trained, yeah. yeah.
1: So this is the era where 2012 is where like the downfall of all the Chinese imitation, sushi, fish, all that stuff happened. And so there was a lot, a lot in the market that had the profession, but uh, the market had enough of cheap sushi, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was, he's great. He's still working with me. So it's well, and you you picked up the skills to yeah make broth. sushi. I mean, I had to. I yeah. had no other choice. I, I, I not necessarily I wanted to,
0: but I had to if not. And and what was I guess opening up on Fourteenth Street? It's I mean, it's it's a sh- busy city in general, Manhattan. But when you open your doors on day one, were people coming straight in, or were you sitting around like sort of yeah. waiting waiting yeah. for people, or what, what's it like up there? So I got, it's,
1: it's a bad area, first of all, it's not the greatest, right? And it's, uh, but I got a great deal on the space and it was big enough for me to handle it as a small restaurant and I got enough traction. I came off a show, not a very good one, but Hell's Kitchen. I was okay. on Hell's Kitchen season 10. so Hell's
0: Kitchen. so uh, Gordon being, Ramsay. Yeah. Being yeah. from Australia, I've seen a little bit about it, but what's, yeah. what's the crux of that show?
1: It's just a reality show where you have like cooking, uh, basically a tournament between guys and girls, and Gordon Ramsay screams at everybody, right? Okay.
0: But and you had a bit of PR and a bit yeah, of and I got a beat.
1: so people knew that I'm opening, and I was on uh, New York morning shows on on that. But I said, hey, I'm opening this this thing, right? So I got some. But then the vegan community was very the vegan scene over here, and there was nothing. Right, there was nothing, no, no options. I mean, there was a bunch, like a, a few, but not enough. And
0: more, and like sort sure. of like fine dining, like candle, yeah. or things like that.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you my thoughts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I'm gonna uh, ask you. I'm gonna ask you about other other vegan uh, restaurants at the end. But <laughs> okay. No, I love them. They're good people, though. They're good people. But
1: at that time, there was not a lot out there. Right? There's not a lot out there, and they were very intrigued by hey, so. And it was just like fire after that. It was like, because the first week, the first day was hard. But then the second day, we doubled. And the day after, we doubled. And the day after, we doubled. And by two weeks, I was hitting $1,500 a day on a 280 square feet restaurant. Did you more stuff? Or you, you got more stuff? Oh, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got another sushi chef first. I still didn't get a dishwasher because I wanted to <laughs> save, right? And that saved my life afterwards because I wanted to save a little bit more money and a little bit more money and a little bit more money so I can can get the staff and be comfortable, right? Thank God I was very good with numbers. And for like three years, I didn't even have a bookkeeper. I I knew everything that was going on. I took care of everything that was going on. But a very unfortunate situation happened. Three months in, Storm Sandy happened over here. And I was in deep uh, all the way to my head because I was closed for two and a half weeks had no electricity. All the food that I prepared, yeah. everything. Like flooding and what happened during yeah. Storm Sandy. Yeah. So the, the electricity was out. There was water in the basement, right? So that was where my kitchen is. Everything is, uh, everything is... And no
0: one, no one's out
1: eating. No. <laughs> there's buff, trees buffering. on the middle yeah. of the street. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there was nothing. And so I was closed for two weeks. All the stuff that I saved or all the work that I did basically saved me because I had no money, right? And uh, it backtracked me a little bit. But, Ten months in, I opened my second location. So, yeah. which was
0: where was that one? Chelsea Market. That oh, was Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that was hard though, because imagine the rent there is a bit higher than yeah. fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Because I yeah. mean, if anyone's been to Chelsea Market, see, yeah. There's some serious foot traffic through there sometimes. Yeah. Eighteen
1: thousand people a day. Eighteen thousand a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that is that
0: the number one foot traffic of your location of the
1: market of yeah. the markets in New York? No, it's not. Okay. I mean, Fifty Sixth Street is is uh, pretty insane. Uh, during lunch. There's days that were maxed out over there. We can't. I'll been to that one too. as well. That's yeah. not far from Central. You haven't been 37 though, right? I haven't right? been to 37. You have to go. We have a different, like we have an extensive menu over there, dinner menu, like out of this world. I make my own breads, ice creams,
0: all this stuff. And you got one down um, in Pine Street. here, right? As well. Oh so, yeah, I got one in Mulberry Street. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so that's my newest one. And I'm going to run that menu over there too. But I came from a place in the catering where I used to charge between two to three hundred dollars a head, right? I did fine dining, fine fine catering, right? And then I went to uh, six fifty a roll. So I took that approach, but you know we have the capacity to do a lot more. Thirty seven. That's we have a bar, we have ninety seats. Wow! Yeah, it's a big big restaurant, and it's doing really well so
0: tell, tell me about the rolling amount so you've got is it five or six locations six locations now six location now and what's were there what were the major sort of pain points i guess with rolling those out and have you faced more challenges as you've had greater number of staff greater number of chefs and and how do you manage all the quality across locations so the hardest thing was
1: growing beyond the third one right so I opened the second one. That was great. What we did, I, I came from catering. I know how to produce in high-end off-site, right? So I, I created a, a commissary model. So we make everything in one place and we spread it out every day. Fresh, going to the locations, all the preparation, like every other restaurant does, and just spread it out. And that extended my ability to utilize 14 or the space that I had over there to uh, Chelsea Market and then 56th Street. And at that point, we were maxing out, right? So we did everything that we could out of Fourteenth Street, and we shot it to all the locations. By the time we got to the other location, it was already fully prepped. No, so all in the ingredients, all right? The ingredients. So if it, if yeah. you cut cucumbers to make for to make a, a, a roll, I would cut it for you, and then on the spot you make it, right? So it doesn't matter. What it allowed us to do is take smaller spaces and spread out, and uh, without the preparation, because I had all the space I needed at Fourteenth Street in our kitchen, right? Downstairs. So I did that. 56 was a big leap. It was big rent, going to midtown, you know, crazy lunches, uh, doing 200 covers in, in two hours. Same uh, type of customer as a downtown customer or different? Very different. So now you're talking about men in suits, you know, big guys coming in, trying food, that, it, and then they become regulars and change their whole, you know, lunch patterns. They don't come out you know, I believe that even if you do, if you eat like this, as much as you want, right? It's great. It's great. They come twice, three, four times a week. Great. If they do it seven times a week, even better, right? Yeah, awesome. Eventually, everybody's gonna go to it. That's the future. It doesn't matter what we what we want to do now.
0: And do, do some of these guys come in and, and they don't know that it's vegan and they sort of sit down, they eat it, and then they're just like, "Hang on." That didn't have any... That didn't I have a fish. policy. <laughs> I have a very, a very strict policy about
1: it. You come in, you think it's fish, sit down. I'll give you a roll for free. If you want to pay for it. That's fantastic. Yeah. If you if you that's think confidence. it's not good, if you think it's not good, don't pay for it. Anyway, if you think something is not good in a restaurant, I'm going to comp it for you. So we might as well try it. If yeah. you felt like it wasn't, it wasn't good or worth the price, it's yeah. okay. And I mean, that's feedback for you anyway. Yes, 100%. And that's what we did. Like when we had the three, we put out cards. Yeah, we, I, I live by it. And I, like I said, I need to get somebody to try it. I need you to try it. And then and then let's talk, okay? Mm-hmm. We gave cards to people and saw who was vegan, who was vegetarian, who was, uh, who was a meat eater. And we were at 60% not even vegetarian, You know, 60% of the customers, which was great. I
0: mean, it's great feedback. It's appealing to the mass market. Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. And then that's where the big change happened after 56. I uh, got interest from the founder of Ruby Tuesdays, Cindy Beal. He was the founder, CEO, ran 1,200 restaurants. Ruby Tuesdays is like, is that like a Denny's? like on the highways? It's uh, like a family dining, like Applebee's. Like uh, Applebee's. Yeah, 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 you can say that. Uh, but they they had 1,200 restaurants in America. Uh, they were trading in the NASDAQ for like a billion point five. Big company. And he was the CEO. What sort of food did they serve? Uh, everything. But he got out of there in 2012 and started a venture company where he invests in concepts. So it was in a, his portfolio, a bunch of them. And uh, he ate our food at 56th Street and got really interested in it. We met a few times and I took him because I decided that after all these years that not only the money, but I have a mission and this this thing made me realize that for me, this is all about growth. Okay. Uh, however, I grow by my, my personal growth, the company growth. And if I don't grow and if I don't do more, what I don't is, feel alive. You know What is that? What is that mission that's making you feel alive? For me, making an impact on something is doing it on a large scale. You cannot do a small restaurant and feel like you're making an impact. You're doing, I think I said it before, but we started over at 2 million, right? There is a big impact when you do something like that. It's something that I'm proud of, but I'm just getting started. So that's, that's the whole idea behind it. I want to do it and as big as possible, as big as I can, right? And for that, you need structure. And for that, you need to be you need to become a company. There we we're, we're, were three restaurants that I was carrying on my back for the longest. It wasn't easy at all. So we needed to invest in structure and do everything. Today, I'm set up to do, I can do 25 easily, 25 locations from what I already built. We have, uh, you know, you have now accounting department and this yeah. and that and all that stuff. So this us. guy came on board and helped me, direct me. So yeah, he wasn't an investor. He didn't like, hey, take all this money and run. He was meeting with me every two weeks, telling me what, you know, basically educating me. Sounds like at that time, that's what you needed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was very comfortable. Yeah. And we were making good money, if it's about money for a second, but I was still hungry, you know? Yeah. That's what
0: it is. And now the next step is coming. So we'll we'll get up to the latest part because that's pretty exciting. But in terms of the food itself, because we've spoken a little bit about, um, you mentioned that it's not about, imitating meats and yeah. you spoke uh, to some of the ingredients like mango yeah. and avocado but run us through the types of ingredients that you're using the flavors that you're creating yeah. and what are some of the most popular dishes that the customers are buying yeah so i tried
1: from the get-go to stay as not obvious but as less complicated as possible. So every palate could understand it, right? So you don't need to be this uh, high-end chef to understand the flavors. For me, flavors are only built on on balance, right? There's, there's never going to be an extreme. If there is an extreme, it's usually unfavored. Sometimes it's good. There is extremes. But the balance between flavors and intense flavors that I grew up with, Moroccan house, made it go through... 90% of the people that 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 ate, right? So let's say our spicy man, it's our bestseller. So in my mind, first of all, presentation was was key. And so all the colors in it, of the rainbow gotta be in there as much as possible, thinking about the flavor, texture, and so on. So first is there was a presentation. And then the texture has got to be something that is crunchy to balance out whatever softness that you have in the roll. Because the rice is usually soft and uh and uh, other ingredients like sweet potato, avocado, something's got to give it, you know, got to give it a kick that. And you use some chickpeas and stuff as well, right? Yeah, we yeah. use chickpeas, uh, yeah. black beans. Uh, I think I used uh,
0: tofu. Something
1: with chickpea in it last time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the soups, the chickpea salads. Yeah. I mean, you should. I told you, I have extensive menu, 37th Street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the flavors got to balance. So let's say the spicy mango is our best seller. Uh, so the sweetness from the mango and which I don't use very ripe mango, I actually look for the harder ones, so we can work with them first, and that they're not too sweet to to overpower the whole dish because mangos can be very strong in flavor, and then the toasted cayenne that comes in kicks it back right so it gives it it gives it kickback so in your palate uh, you get the sweetness and the spicy if it's uh in texture, so we had uh a lot more grains in the rice that are a little bit more crunchy that balance the sweet potato and avocado or the crisp from your uh, alfalfa, alfalfa sprouts on, the, on, on that roll. But I usually like to balance almost everything, the fat, the acidity. There's got to be some fat and stuff. I mean, fat is not a curse word. A exactly. lot of people think that it's yeah. bad, right? If you use and good fats. there's
0: different fats. kinds of fats, right? So yeah, fat in general is something I talk about it's demonized, but yeah. It's such an umbrella term because yes. fat does not mean the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's bad, there is bad yeah. fats, and if you fry everything,
1: uh, then of course it's bad. But there's good fats, and if it's balanced, and if you don't eat too much of it, uh, and if it works with the dish, a
0: dish needs to have to have some sort. You said you said that you don't sort of go out of your way to imitate animal based yeah. foods, but is there an element of necessity or an element of working with the sushi to get the texture right so that when someone bites into the roll, it is has a similar texture to say a traditional one with a fish? Like does the mango and the avocado, that softness, is yeah. that is that soft because that's like what fish is? Is that why you've
1: done uh, that? No. 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 I, I think that... Uh... I've eliminated in my thought process anything that has to do with it. I strictly look at it as a vessel. And I think that every every dish in the world and every is built on a certain kind of vessel. I mean, any dishes, that, uh, not everything, but any vessel they have, uh, uh, tacos or pitas or this bread or that sandwich, or even let's say a steak needs to be carried with potatoes. Okay. Something carries it and at this instant for me the vessel was the sushi and that's that's the only thing i looked at i looked at the, i looked at it as a vessel that carries the flavors that i want to be precise
0: and i guess you you've been uh, operating now for 5 for six, six, years. 6 years yeah have you six, have you had any celebrities come in or people famous people come in and oh, buy? yeah,
1: yeah. We, we've had a bunch i am um, I am the worst person to ask about these things, but we had um we had a few celebrities that go to a Chelsea market that always come there. But again, <laughs> you are asking the wrong guy. Yeah. You're asking the wrong guy. My girls at the office know everything yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah. they manage it. So You're you know. you're in the kitchen. I had what's his name? Uh Red Food not too long ago. Yeah. He he's uh, he's very advocate to yeah, the cause cool. and everything. He came with uh, with his crew to thirty seven and we met and everything else. But we had a Jake
0: Gyllenhaal. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and a bunch of other. But I don't pay attention. Yeah, I'm sure and there's no. a bunch of them coming in. Yeah. Now, the the future for Beyond Sushi. Yes. You've got these the six locations. And th- this week I saw you were on Shark Tank. Yeah. Tell us about that, how how Shark Tank came about. Happen. Yeah, how did, how did it happen? And what <laughs> was that experience like? So I was asked
1: by my family, by my wife, by everybody I know, to go and do that many times and I said no way I'm not doing it you know I'm not only that I that I didn't want to do it it's also I I wasn't ready mentally I didn't think the business is ready or presented well we weren't set up for it but the last time my wife said okay I'm sending it you know I don't care what you say uh, I'm sending it and you're gonna go and I said you know what Okay, let's do it. Also, we'll get the word out there. We get the exposure that we need. It will bring back the conversation, right? For me, uh, lately, I felt like the conversation wasn't as, you know, it's just, it felt like I need to bring it back, right? Uh, And I said, okay, uh, we'll go on there. I believe in the product. I Like I said, once they taste it, it will be good. They just needed the business aspect of it, which I'm pretty good at, thank God. I, I've been working on that hard because uh, without that, you have to think. You have to think about the business all the time. Without that, this whole mission doesn't work, right? It's 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 a mission personally. It's a mission uh, uh, on a bigger scale. But if it's not a business, it's it's not going to work, you know. So I had to get that together, and then we went to the show out of forty thousand. I think we were the in the last hundred. Okay. And, uh, out of like the
0: last hundred, where, where wherever. Where did you have to? Where's the show filmed? It's in LA, LA, LA. Hollywood. And you had to prepare like a five-minute talk. Yeah, something. I talked to them for a long time. Of course, it's a it's
1: a pre. Were you pretty show. nervous? No, because uh, you were confident I, going in. There. I was nervous. I, I was much more nervous yesterday going to watch the show because it was the first time for me too because you don't know how, you know, you don't know how you look really.
0: And so when you got in front of the sharks and you presented the concept and I'm guessing you, they tried the food. Yes. Yeah. What was the, I haven't seen last night's episode, but what was the sort of general tone of their feedback and the conversation? And I understand you got some investment. So there was a deal done. I'm not sure how much of that you can go into, but what, what was the outcome of the show and what was their feedback like? So I walked in asking for investment for, for LA, basically
1: invest in LA so I can expand out of to the out West of New Coast. York, to the West Coast. Yeah. I asked for a million point five so I can open. So you didn't there. want any investment for the East Coast? No, I didn't. Uh, eventually things changed a little bit, but I was giving him a collateral on the LA over here in New York 5%, and then 25% of what's going to come because they're investing the money. That was the thought process. Of course, they wanted more of New York because that's an established place. We agreed at the end on fifteen and thirty over there, uh, which is still okay. Because I came in and said asking for a thirty million dollars valuation, just mm-hmm. a little bit extensive. But I knew that it's gonna go somewhere, so I prepared for that. They seemed so receptive to the to the to the whole idea that it, it shocked me. Right, I wasn't sure how they're gonna be how they're gonna be about it. I knew that they would love the food. I knew that they would like. You know, they, they would taste good. I'm very confident in what I do. I do it. I do it with a lot of passion and love. And I brought out my chefs over there. We made it right on the spot, put up the whole station for them. But I wasn't sure because, as a business model, you know, if you have a pre perception of something, sometimes you let that interrupt what reality is, right? And we talked about it before. So at the end, they loved it. They, one of them actually wanted me, said afterwards, you can see the video afterwards, said, I wanted you to get out of here so I can continue eating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so were they were they like drawn to I guess this concept because of the difference, the uniqueness in that it didn't contain any animal products, and were you sort of speaking to the fact of the statistics around what's happening with the the oceans and the, yeah. and the statistics around people? Um, eating more plant-based yeah so let's uh, the two that did invest okay one
1: of them was matt higgins matt higgins is the founder of rsv venture rse ventures which is the backing behind all the unique concept momofuku uh, uh,
0: milk milk bar bluestone lane okay. australian yeah it's right? an australian right? cafe australian yeah. cafe yeah any 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 australians that come to new york that are Looking for coffee. Coffee. End right. And up, was up <laughs> up Brewstone Lane. Yeah. Yeah. They, so. They've rolled out quite a few. And oh, yeah. They have I, was in, I was in Philadelphia and I, I was in LA and there's one, yeah, there's one in LA. There's one LA. in
1: Philadelphia. They're actually extending and building bigger yeah. units and all that stuff. Really great people too. So the same guy he's same invested guy. into them. Invested. Yeah. So he invested in the other one was Lori Grenier. Lori Grenier is very famous. She's been there for a very long time. She was coming from a place where it's right up our alley. She goes to Veggie Grill all the time. I'm not going to say anything bad about that but she said that for her this is the next big thing and she wants it in the land she wants it you know she wants it to uh to grow over there and she's she's just a jedi when it comes to pushing products and stuff and companies and everything else and i felt that they were the perfect partners right so this guy comes with all this experience in uh in the food industry and i can just take it in and you know as much as possible and she can push everything that it's awesome yeah it's great i mean they're really great and what you see on the show it's are like real people i just met with him like 10 minutes ago right and before we came here we sit down we talk we we plan the we plan whatever is going on they're good people and then i have my the most knowledgeable that i can ever ask sandy bill which is you know he's my partner for the longest and he's guiding me on this guiding me on everything else so now we have a real company a with tank. a
0: board and yeah.
1: everything else and
0: so push exciting. it forward yeah t- um, t- tell me uh, and it might be a little bit too inside info but la yeah location wise <laughs> are we are we thinking like abbot Kinney venice or where or uh, west hollywood what what are you looking at santa I monica that, <laughs> i think that i think that
1: it's too early but in general i think that and that's what the the sense that i got even from the people that have open places in la General LA is more of a destination place, right? So you drive to where you go. You uh, think about, hey, we're gonna go eat here or there or whatever. Not, I have a, it's not my cousin, but he, he my grandma basically raised him. Uh, he's the chef and old, chef and partner at uh, Crossroads, uh, which Tal is Ronin. fantastic. Yeah, it's the Got best the brunch like, there on the, the weekend. And, <laughs> yeah, it's the best. He's really, really talented, yeah. and he does it at the highest level. And then uh, we went there when we went out, but. You go there, right? You know about it. You go there. I don't know the dynamics of LA enough mm. to say, okay, it's going to be there or there or there. But it's, it's going to be everywhere. It's, it's going to be everywhere.
0: everywhere. That's yeah. that's the plan, well, the right? The thing is, like LA, anyone that's been there or lives there, it's very different to New York in that the yeah. public transport just is not the same. Yeah, And it you can't walk around it's so spread out. Like yeah. Venice to West Hollywood to Santa Monica, these places are ages away and take an incredible amount of time in the car. So you're right, like people... Tend to go somewhere and yeah. then they stick in that spot. They stick.
1: Yeah. I, I, I don't know yet, but I got a lot of uh, recommendations so far. So we'll see that. But for me, LA is not is not the end, right?
0: Yeah. So that's what my next question was: Are you are you established as much as you want to be here in New York? Are you over in Brooklyn? I don't have one in Brooklyn yet. Yeah. So uh,
1: we're opening we're opening another one uh, soon, and then uh, I plan to do another three next year here in new york so this is not done new york is not done okay we still have like i said i can do 25 right now i have the capacity to do planning to open more so of the bigger model right so the sit down 37th street it's much more sustainable than the other ones uh they're very hard to maintain uh management and so on and so on that's operations right very hard so it's happening and we're gonna grow here but at the same time i don't want to feed uh a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people a day. I want to do five
0: thousand yeah, here, and I think right. it would, you know, it would be, it might be a little biased, but it'd be rude not to, to think about the people down under in, um, <laughs> in Melbourne <laughs> and in Sydney, yeah. particularly. So yeah. I, I certainly hope that one day you find your way. I mean, a uh, right partner over here in Australia. Well, you might be looking at one. So. okay, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Um, now, we we touched on candle before. Yep. I'm interested to know when your hungry um and you want to eat out but you don't where do I go? yeah where where do you go in in new york to to try something different something that's not uh, your own yeah, yeah it's hard <laughs> <laughs> there is a few highlights
1: um because of my perception of vegan food and how it should be so i stay away from imitations myself right so i don't eat that way but i get inspired by anything or wherever i eat nix is a really good one right I haven't uh, heard of that. you haven't heard of so they have uh, two minutes vegetarian, vegan. It's so on U- Nix N I X. You should definitely yeah. check it out. It's on University and Twelfth Street or Eleventh yeah. Street. Um, really good stuff. Very famous chef. Uh, the guy behind Dovetail, which has a nice vegetarian tasting menu. The, um,
0: Washington Square is not near there? uh right between Washington and Union Square yeah, yeah. so right smack in the middle which is not far from Chloe's which I yeah. guess you don't need that much <laughs>
1: I I uh first I don't uh second I don't like I I know Chloe and okay. she's great and I don't like what happened over there Yeah I heard there was uh, a bit of business form, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not it there is a difference between this is just this is just a business you know what I'm saying this is just a business yeah. By Chloe this yeah. is just a business yeah. there is nothing and it's not only that. I feel like it's not as uh, it's not nice, yeah. right? Anyway, uh, you can, whatever. You can Google. It. You can read. Yeah, on, read, yeah, on, yeah on, read about on. it. That's not my. <laughs> okay, that's not so my Nick, thing.
0: So Nick's? Uh, oh, Nix is great.
1: Yeah. Uh, ABCV. Okay. Yeah. ABCV. Really nice. They do have some. They do have, but they they're practically vegan. Just have to tell them, hey, I want this vegan. They have a few cheeses that go in there, but they all do it vegan. Whatever you want. Other than that, I don't go anywhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> I cook my own food. I cook at home a lot. I cook with my kids. I have a four-year-old. We cook together. I teach them how important it is. And it's fun. You know, I do it. And cooking, I still, 50% of my time, I cook. I don't run a business. I cook 50% of the time. I don't, I, and it's a, it's a goal for me to keep it. I'll never let it go on that 30%, right? I have to. And I go to a service once a week. And my family knows I go to service once a week. And at, least, at least, if not more, of course, in, uh, in the 30, 37th Street location. I think that a chef that doesn't have a connection to his food or doesn't touch it with his own hands, the food is not the same. The food is not the same. And I go, and even if I don't cook, I think I taste everything that we make practically every like other day. Like you said at the same yeah. that
0: consistency is key. Yeah. I mean,
1: what are we selling? Said at the start. Yeah. We're selling food, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it's about. Service, important, this, important. But I always tell all my managers and all my staff, if we're not selling good food, we wouldn't be in business, right? We have to sell good food. doesn't matter what. Throw it out. It's got to be good, right? It's got to be the way it is. And uh, pressure creates diamonds. Uh, I've learned that from the best, though. Uh, One thing about Gordon Ramsay, right? He executes no matter what at the highest level, right? And that is something I took from that or from him. It doesn't matter if you wait for 50 minutes for your food or whatever. Not, I'm gonna execute it at the best level, and if not, I'm not gonna give you the food. It's okay. Uh, I, if, even him, I told him, don't try my food because it wasn't executed
0: well. What's your style, your your chef style like compared to his in the kitchen? Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I used to be, I used to be,
1: I used to be this uh, monster in the kitchen and screaming and blah blah blah. But what, since I opened the business, I... Once you grow in a business, you have to, uh, if you want to grow in the business, again, this is, you could stay the way you are, but everything is evolution, right? So once you grow in a business, you have to take the part. And that's something that I learned through, through my feet, right? I would lose people, I had like left and right, because I had very high expectations. And I was very straightforward about them, right? But you have to take the part. I'm a business owner. Now. You got to understand that not everything is black and white. And you will have to uh, accept certain things that you wouldn't accept as a chef and just show the way of how to do things, right? And, and still uh, systems and tell people and again and again until they get it or until they, as long as they're committed, right? As long as they're committed for the cause, committed for what they do, uh, determined, do it right. You know,
0: I'll take my time. Well said. Changed. Mate. Changed. Well, um. Yeah, change is what you're doing. You're, you're changing the game. I, I love what you're doing. You're p- pushing the boundaries. I'm so excited to see you expand. And next Thanks. time I'm, I'm in LA, I hope that one of your first restaurants over there is up. And as I yeah. said, I'm serious. You need to get this. I got to lead in Australia. You, you right? need to get this thing to Australia um, and then feed, feed all the vegans, and not just the vegans. Feed everyone down under because the food yeah. is that good that... Thank you. Um, yeah, it needs to be shared, shared globally. So thank you very much for your, you. your time today. It's been great, to, great it. to catch up in New York. Thank you. Wow. If Guy is not a pioneer in the plant-based restaurant space, then I do not know who is. As I said at the beginning, I love that Guy has taken risk after risk and continues to follow his mission. Unperturbed by folks that may say he's selling out, Guy is adamant he's going to take his plant-based food to the masses. The flow-on effect that introducing people to vegan food like this can have is mammoth. And I I take my hat off to Guy and his team. Bit of a different episode, guys, today, but I I like to mix it up and bring in some business here and there. There's nothing wrong with making money if you're doing it with a good message, with good intentions. Really hope you took a few things away from Guy's story and perhaps perhaps something that will spark some inspiration within you to continue helping change the world for the better or, or to start. In whatever way that may be, you do you. So it's so awesome to be here with you again for this episode. As always, if you did like it, please share it on whatever social media you use. Leave a review on iTunes, subscribe, follow, etc. You guys know the drill. The more episodes that are shared and the more reviews that the show gets, the higher it ranks in general and the more impact that we can have together. Thanks for being part of the Plant Prep community. I'll be seeing you in the next episode.